Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Welcome to the FT's US Election Countdown podcast. I'm Sam Fleming here in Washington, and I'm joined by my colleagues Sean Donnan and Courtney Weaver. Sean and Courtney, hi. 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 So we have less than one week to go until Election Day next Tuesday, and Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump have been furiously hitting the campaign trail as they face the final few days of campaigning before the big day. Uh, Now, the fascinating thing that we've seen over the past few days is the narrowing of uh, Hillary Clinton's lead in a number of polls, both uh, nationally but also in key battleground states, uh, following the FBI director's decision to disclose an inquiry into further Clinton-related emails. So, Courtney, why don't we go first to you and you can explain exactly what's happened here. So basically what we've seen is a dramatic shift in the electoral landscape. Just two weeks ago, we thought that Clinton was sort of heading to a blowout win. She was looking at expanding into traditionally Republican states, such as Georgia, such as Arizona. And now what we're seeing is her campaign has really been forced to defend uh, states that were Democratic. Uh, And the reason for this is you've seen nationally the polls tighten quite significantly. Uh, We had one poll, a Washington Post-ABC News poll this week, that showed that Trump was actually one point ahead of Clinton, whereas the average of polls shows, you know, Clinton now just two points ahead of Trump versus six points just two weeks ago. Uh, And basically what's happened is you've seen the focus shift from Trump where it was before with the Access Hollywood video, um, all these questions about his treatment of women, all these accusations by women that he had groped him. uh, And now the focus is clearly back on Clinton, which is something uh, her campaign doesn't want this close to the election. Now, clearly, the Clinton campaign is saying they're not they're not convinced by that particular poll uh, you pointed to. Their internals are looking uh, more positive, but you can look at some of the behaviours um, in terms of where the campaign is going, where Hillary Clinton herself is going, and question whether they're quite as confident as they're making out. What, what's your sense, Sean? I think the first thing to remember is the polls are messy right now in the final week. There's clearly been a, a broad tightening in the averages, but we have polls showing leads of six points, seven points nationally. We have polls showing Trump leading one point nationally. Uh, the polls, even credible polls, are are, are 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 mixed up right now. And we're seeing that in some of the battleground states. In Florida, uh, in particular, a very, very important state, I think everyone agrees, we're seeing polls showing a victory for Clinton and polls showing a victory for Trump. Uh, so we really are in the final days. We're, we're in a messy race, and we need to keep that in mind. But clearly, as Courtney says, the, you know, the dynamics have changed. This is no longer heading for a blowout. This is, this is about uh, Clinton defending what she's called, or what, what others have called, the blue wall, uh, which is the great advantage that Democrats have uh, in the Electoral College vote. And she can lose some key battleground states like Florida, like Ohio, like North Carolina, and still win this election. And I think that's why, actually, the, the Clinton camp 
is while it's moving to defend its lead in places, or what has been its, its lead throughout this electoral cycle in places like Michigan, in places like Wisconsin, uh, it, and places like Pennsylvania, uh, it is uh, still feeling pretty confident uh, about that. And we're, you know, we're seeing some signs that Republicans see that as well. People are also pointing to 2012 and, 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 and Mitt Romney and his late dash uh, into Democratic states, which actually turned out to be a kind of desperate dash to try and find some ways uh, to offset his losses uh, in, in, in other states. So we've got messy polls, we've got campaigns deploying people around the country, around battleground states. All, all that we really know is that we're in the final week of a, of a long election. If, yeah, if I can just jump in here for a second. I think one thing that definitely indicates that the Clinton campaign is more concerned now than they were two weeks ago is just the shift we've seen in Clinton's rhetoric. You know, two weeks ago is the f- end of the final third debate. Um, and Clinton was really shifting into how am I how am I going to govern if I'm elected mode? She did that in the third debate, um, and her campaign had kind of moved towards a more positive message, more positive rhetoric, going away from these attacks on Trump, which had dominated most of the past two months. And now, in the final week, we've seen a shift back to those attacks on Trump. You know, she's saying we can't trust him with the nuclear codes. Uh, look at what he said to women. Uh, she appeared with uh, the former Miss Universe, Alicia Machado at a rally in Florida this week. You know, this is not something that she would be doing if she was, you know, the clear front runner and was not worried about him. No, I, and absolutely. I mean, that, and that's the feature. And this, you know, the decision this year from Clinton's uh, perspective has to be a referendum on Donald Trump, uh, his attitudes towards women, his suitability to govern. From Donald Trump's perspective, his, uh, you know, his, his strategy is clearly to paint uh, Hillary Clinton as corrupt, uh, as a liar, uh, as ill-suited. I mean, in some ways, he's pointing to her uh, or attacking her with exactly the same sort of things that she's attacking him, uh, which is really interesting. I mean, it's always a great defense. You know, it's the old playground, I know I know, I am, but what are you kind of retort. And what you had uh, in addition to that, at least until initially, was uh, the prospect of tensions not only between Clinton and Trump, obviously, but also between Clinton and the FBI. And that, in a sense, being a, a further rung to this to this to this battle, which again takes the focus away uh, from Donald Trump and uh, and very much squarely on the problems of of Hillary Clinton. I mean, there's one other tension that we're seeing kind of resolve itself a little bit in 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 in, in the last week or so, and that is tensions within the Republican Party. I mean, really interesting, the repairing of the relationship that's going on between Donald Trump uh, and Republicans and mainstream Republicans as the kind of the polls narrow is really interesting. Paul Ryan this week, who had been kind of one of his main uh, uh, antagonists within the Republican Party, uh, saying he had voted for Donald Trump and voted for his party and talking about, wouldn't it be wonderful and just think of the things we can do with a Republican president. Yeah, and I think one important thing to note about that is that Trump, you know, while we have Clinton, you know, fighting back against the FBI, her campaign criticizing Director James Comey's decision on Friday to to announce basically that they were looking into this new probe with her emails. Trump has actually been quite on message. You know, he gave this big speech with his running mate Mike Pence this week about Obamacare, which is a huge issue for basically all Republican voters, you know, uh, and he has been sticking to reading off the teleprompter, sticking to the script. And I think that's made it easier for people like Paul Ryan to say, yes, I've cast my vote for Donald Trump. Another reason why 
polls can change the mood of an election rather than just being interesting information themselves. One one interesting thing I did read this morning was, I, I believe, a YouGov article about the polls m making quite an interesting point, which is um, part of what swings polls in terms of these, these event-driven changes in polling sentiment is people's partisans' willingness to respond to the question. If you're a supporter of Trump and something like Access Hollywood uh, comes out, then you might be less willing to actually respond to that poll or, or support uh, enthusiastically that poll when the pollster speaks to you. So that can have a, a disproportionate impact on the polls without them actually swinging quite as much in terms of underlying movements. What's a, a far better, in a sense, indicator of where people are, are heading is early voting. Now, this is a very fraught area, but it has been underway for a number of, of days and weeks, indeed weeks, in, in uh, states around the country. So early voting is already underway in Florida. Uh, I was in Texas uh, last week uh, during the first week of early, early voting there. One of the polling places I visited on the first day of early voting in Texas had a line of one and a half hours to vote. On, and this is you know, well before November the 8th. So this is an important, important component of this, this election. And of course, what's happening is all this news is spooling out in real time as people are voting. And so some people will have been able to factor in the FBI development and some people won't. I believe now we've, uh, is it 23 million? No, it's actually, it's much bigger than that. It's, it's, we've reached more than 30 million voters now have, 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 have voted early. 31 million voters uh, as of midweek. I mean, we should remember that we know in some states whether Democrats or Republicans are voting early, whether independents are voting early, but we have no idea, uh, you know, how they are voting. Uh, and that's a, a, a big question that's hanging over there. But there are people out there who are doing analysis of where people are voting and how the, the turnout compares to 2012. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're coming up with some assumptions there that, and it should be said, that the, they come up with assumptions that benefit either candidate, depending on, on who's looking at it in some ways. I think one of the really important things to remember, though, is that at 31 million, now one in four of the voters who voted in 2012 have already voted in this election. And that's an astonishing number. I mean, 25% uh, of the electorate has already lodged its vote. Uh, that is clearly, uh, we had 125 million or so people who voted in, in, in 2012. We expect 130 or so million more uh, this year to, to, to vote. And you also have to remember that the polls, while they're showing us a type they're also showing us that people are kind of, in some ways, set in their ways, and, and they've already made their decisions, and that's something, I mean, actually, while the Comey incident uh, or the intervention may have shifted polls, it's not clear that it's shifted them in a huge way. Uh, it, it's shifted some enthusiasm numbers, but uh, it, it's unclear that it has really kind of changed fundamentally the dynamics in this election because, I mean, this is an election where people are voting as much against the other person mm -hmm. as, as their own candidate, and that has... Uh, that's something they decided to do a long time ago. The question, in some ways, is: is uh, you, you touched on it, enthusiasm? Does it does it affect people's uh, willingness to actually bother to vote? Uh, how, how does it impact turnout? And I, I think the enthusiasm question is is really important. I mean, that was another thing we saw in the polls this week: is that enthusiasm for Clinton among Democratic supporters and voters does seem to have dropped in the past two weeks. And this is something she's struggled with, obviously, since the primary. Can she get the sort of the so-called Obama coalition, African-Americans, millennials, 
liberals to come out and vote for her in the same numbers that Obama did. So a key, a key question is, um, which has come out uh, in the past couple of days, is African-American turnout being being depressed uh, compared with 2012. Now, I think you put a bit of a, a health warning on that. It was inevitable that African-American turnout would be lower this year than when um, an African-American was running for president, uh, as Barack Obama was in 2008 and 2012. But they do want to hold it more to the levels that you saw uh, in the 2000s. So they don't want to see a precipitous drop. And that's really what they're looking at in terms of early voting numbers. Um, the, the more positive indicator uh, in states like Florida has been much higher levels of Hispanic turnout, which has been a key focus for the Clinton campaign, um, who think that uh, Donald Trump's uh, comments on immigration and on Mexico will hurt him in the Hispanic uh, vote. So that's, from the Clinton point of view, quite a positive development. And, I mean, there's another thing that we have to remember the selection, and that is gender. Uh, and and, and uh, this is, a, in some ways, a battle of the sexes. I mean, there, there, the gender gap in American politics is been there, I've just been looking at some numbers on this, has been there for a long time. And women have tended to vote for Democratic presidential candidates uh, almost uh, universally since the late 1980s, uh, and quite possibly earlier than that. But this year, uh, if we look at the poll averages and what we've seen, we're seeing the biggest gender gap we've ever seen in American history. Uh, and that makes sense in some ways. The, you know, While the U.S. elected in 2008 its first black president, this year it, it stands to elect its first female president. And there's there are signs that that is energizing some women voters, at least. And as we know, women are actually very reliable voters. Um, they're a group that usually votes in higher numbers than other demographics. And actually, Donald Trump this week is sending his wife, Melania, out for her first campaign appearance just days before the vote actually takes place. Uh, so she'll be appearing in Pennsylvania this week, uh, which is one of the key areas where the Trump campaign is worried that it's losing female suburban Republican voters. This is around uh, around Philadelphia. And, 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 and Pittsburgh. I mean, the, the, the suburbs of the big cities where you have and the other factor in a state like Pennsylvania is education. Uh, and that is the other place where Hillary Clinton seems to be offsetting uh, some of the gains that, that, that Donald Trump has made with other constituencies. There is a very real possibility, and this is what polls have been showing us all year, that Hillary Clinton will become the first Democratic presidential candidate to win among white college-educated voters since data has been kept on this, which started in 1952. Extraordinary. So before we wrap things up, just going around, uh, around the room here with Courtney and Sean, any, any particularly important uh, bits of data or fun facts that you've noted on the campaign trail the past few days? Uh, well, speaking about early voting, uh, one thing that I learned this week, which I did not know, is that in some states you can actually take back your early vote if you've changed your mind. Uh, so this is the case in Wisconsin and Minnesota. So voters who had voted before the FBI probe, for instance, they can actually change their mind and take back their vote. That is indeed an interesting fact. Sean? I think the big number to watch is, is the number I was just talking about, and that's the gender gap. So that gender gap right now stands at 26% according to polling averages, and that's the highest number it's ever been. Uh, if women turn out and vote for Hillary Clinton, it's very hard to in big numbers, and that gender gap holds, it's very hard to see how Donald Trump wins this election. My, I guess my number was less a fun fact, but um, um, an important fact, which will be the jobs numbers which come out on Friday. This will be the last jobs report for the election. The labor market has obviously been doing very well in the U.S. Um, payroll growth is about 170,000 over the past year, or, or certainly this year, a month. So 
you could see some political heat coming out, um, coming with that um, employment report, depending on how interesting the numbers are. Certainly, Donald Trump has tried to use these unemployment uh, these employment reports as a sign the economy isn't working for people, pointing out weak payroll growth uh, numbers when they come out. On the other hand, uh, certainly the Democrats say that there's been a really staggeringly impressive um, jobs market recovery, even if it's uh, a partial recovery with um, disappointing wage growth. So a huge amount of news ahead of us for the next few days. Do stay with us as we chart this extraordinary election in its final, uh, on the final lap. Uh, That's it for us this week. Thank you very much for listening. You can find stories on a lot of what we've been discussing on FT.com. For now, we're at Twitter as well, so follow us all. I'm at uh, Sam One Fleming. I'm at Courtney underscore FT. And I'm at Estarvin. And remember to sign up for our daily campaign trail newsletter. It's called White House Countdown. You can sign up at ft.com forward slash NBE. And thanks for listening. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.